1: This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun.
2: Hi, this is Gates McFadden. who played Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. And you're listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson.
1: Vision of Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings to you, humans, aliens, other species all across the galaxy, known and unknown, and welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. This is episode number 292, and I am your co-host, Bill Smith, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. We have a great episode on tap for you today, and of course, when I say we, that means I'm not doing this alone. As many times as I wish I were, I'm not. And of course, I can't really give him any crap because you know he's he's kind of doing okay this week. He's he's the largely tolerable Dan Davidson, and Dan, that's a great one on tap today,
0: buddy. Oh man, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure for your wonderful introductions, and I got a nice one today. Thank you. Wait, thanks for having me. You're the co-host of the damn show. You know what? That's right, co-host, which you could kick me out at a moment's notice because you run the show. (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. I wish back to normal. (laughs) No, but it's uh, it's great to be here. Like you said, we have a fantastic episode lined up this week, man. Um, We've had the opportunity to get to know this guy over the course of the last year, virtually only. Uh, We finally did get to meet him in Vegas a few weeks ago, and we're going to have a great conversation with director David Livingston, who has recorded or excuse me, has directed 62 episodes of Star Trek over the years, which is such It's it's one of those records that will probably never be broken. Um, I hope it isn't broken because uh, he's a wonderful guy, and we're going to have a great conversation with him today. You know,
1: nobody actually comes close as far as number yeah. of, of episodes directed. Freaks is a distant second. I mean, when you count that he's done two feature films, I mean, that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. But 62 episodes is is the kind of thing I don't think we'll ever see again in Star Trek. And it just—it it doesn't hurt that David is one of the n- genuinely nicest guys on the planet.
0: Yeah, he really is. He's so much fun to be around. He just, he, he just is always smiling. All the times that we talk to him, he's smiling, and and, uh, and he's, very, he's very proud and happy uh, of the work he's done in Star Trek. And, and as you'll see in the conversation, it changed his life, which has happened for so many people involved in Star Trek and couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So it's going to be a fun conversation.
1: 100% looking forward to it even though you're a part of it which will be wow. pretty
0: great. That back to normal like I said.
1: <laughs> well, some things never change. <laughs> And of course, we want to take this moment to thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network.
0: Yeah, absolutely we do, man. They're great friends and amazing business partners. And the thing is, we just really love their product. You know, their pins are awesome and they're constantly releasing new Star Trek stuff because they're huge fans. Just like we are. So head on over to fansets.com right now and check out the two new latest releases, which are the Women of Trek Raffi Musiker pin. Is it Musiker or Musiker? I've always it's wondered Musaker, that. I believe. Musiker. thank you. All right. As well as the dreaded Confederation Delta from Picard Season 2. Now, this Delta, as all the other ones these days, is available in both magnet and pin form over at fansets.com.
1: Great additions to any collection, Dan. And I know you love the Rafi pin because with all the women of Trek pins, they got that glitter going on, Glitter's
0: man. is awesome. Glitter.
1: Glitter. So everyone... You know, I tell you every week, I mean it just as much this week. Head on over to fansets.com, put that Rafi pin and a Confederation Delta, you know, the one with the, the blades on the edge, and get a whole bunch of other pins because you're going to want them and some accessories, maybe even a gift certificate. Put those in your cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter the special discount code TrekGeeks for 10% off your entire order. That's TrekGeeks in all capital letters with no spaces. And of course, don't forget, when you spend more than $30 on fansets.com, you will automatically get free shipping in the United States.
0: Fansets, our pins have character and we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So Halloween's coming, and that means some pretty special stuff will be coming your way from Science Division. Halloween, your, what are your favorite holidays? Yes, one of mine?
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, all next month, Science Division will be posting their daily Tribble Halloween cosplay photos on their social media. So you will definitely want to give them a follow to see those because they're just so much fun. Uh, also, the Silver Giant Limited Edition Tribbles are more than halfway sold out already. Wow. At this rate, they could be gone by year's end, and you definitely want to get yours now, because once they're gone, no more of the giant silver Tribbles will be imported from the Tribble homeworld.
0: Plus, did we mention that the Tribbles are interactive? Yep, the Science Division Tribble has its own app that you can use to control the Tribble. It's not necessary, but it is a lot of fun to make it scream at people like incredibly awesome podcast co-hosts like my friend Bill. Fret not, however, everyone except him knows that. You know I'm going to say it. Here we go. Bill. Bill. Dribbles are not dangerous, my friend.
1: I'm amazed that you read that copy the way I wrote it. And I
0: first read, too.
1: <laughs> I know. I, I'm stunned. <laughs> so, of course, get your Tribble today. Head on over to ScienceDIV.com right now to pick up one of the Galaxy's first interactive Tribbles for your very own. Plus, while you're there, check out their new and approved shop accessory section where you can get all kinds of science division swag, like mugs or tank tops. Or since, you know, today is the first day of autumn here in the United States, maybe even a nice warm sweatshirt to keep yourself warm on the crisp fall days that are coming our way.
0: Science Division. Troubles never been this fun, and we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode.
1: Hi, Dr. Phil Flocks, also known as John Billingsley. Speaking, I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi-course meals to the unhoused and to those in need 7 nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org slash volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long
0: way. Well, Bill, you know, we've had amazing guests here on Trek Geeks over the past several years. Uh, Wonderful actors with their unique stories of all things Star Trek. We've called some of them living legends, but I really am not sure that they rise to the status of today's guest, who is indeed a living Star Trek legend. He started out in the Star Trek universe as a unit production manager in 1987 on TNG's pilot episode Encounter at Point and moved up in rank to become a supervising producer in 1992 on TNG and subsequent Star Trek series. In 1991, he directed his first episode of Star Trek, TNG Season 4's The Mind's Eye, went on to direct one more TNG episode, and then directed 17 DS9 episodes, 28 Voyager episodes, and 15 Enterprise episodes. That is a mind-blowing 62 directing credits in the Star Trek universe, which is by far a record. He's helped sculpt what we now call the legacy Star Trek universe in so many ways. And heck, man, even Picard's Lionfish Livingston was named after this amazing human being. In addition to all his work on Star Trek, he is a member of the board for the Hollywood Food Coalition, which we were honored to partner up with last year for our highly successful Trek Talks telethon, which raised over $80,000 for Hofoko. And we're going to do it all again this coming January 14th, 2023 with Trek Talks 2. Bill and I have gotten to know this man through our work on putting together the telethon. And not only is he Star Trek royalty, we are very honored to call him a dear friend. He is Mr. David Livingston. And David, it's great to have you here, man. It's been a long time coming, and we are just thrilled to finally be able to talk to you about Star Trek today.
2: I love you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I
1: I can't even bust Dan Stones for that intro because it it, it was perfect. It was It, it was awesome. Normally, I... I give him grief for going on and on and on, but I wouldn't change a moment of that intro. Um, and it's just—it's so thrilling to have you
2: here. Um, well, I, I, you I said bet you, you never you thought said- you'd be here a year ago. <laughs> Uh, I didn't, but you say living legend the only living I am is livingston that's about it. I think but,
0: that, that was good that, that one that might be a keeper. I like that one. <laughs> well, you know David, you know we like I said, we got to know you over the course of the last year and planning the the telethon and it, it's been so great uh, to hear some of your stories and to finally meet you in person after all that time in Vegas just a few weeks ago um, we said, man, Can't believe we haven't had him on the show. So we're glad you're here. Um, And my first question is going to be to to really make you think hard about the very first time you directed a Star Trek episode back in TNG season four with the mind's eye. You've been working on TNG for a while during very doing various things. What was it like for you to step into that directing chair, director's chair for the first time, knowing the universe that you were being a, a part of?
2: Um, I went to film school to become a producer director, and it never really happened until I had the opportunity to work on Star Trek. And Rick Berman established the Dit School, which is a director and training school. And he asked me if I wanted to go to school to potentially direct an episode. And I said, sure. So for six months, I studied uh, by uh, studying other directors on the set, going to post-production, uh, doing everything, uh, looking at the show from a director's Uh, uh, point of view. And uh, at that point, Rick said, are you ready? And I said, yep. And he gave me uh, a shot. And the moment I stepped on the stage, I felt like I died and gone to heaven. Um, I was never a fan of being a unit manager or line producer, a numbers cruncher, having to manage the production and all that. I did it because it was a job. But Directing was my bliss. And that moment where I first got on the stage was, it was electrifying for me. And I felt at home, uh, which was, it was a, it was a great feeling.
1: That's pretty amazing. I mean, because that episode sets up so much for later on in that season too, you know, with sort of the shadowy figure in the, in the background, which is Geordie's being programmed and stuff like that. Um, that's actually one of my favorite episodes. I just really? put it together today that that was your first directorial credit.
2: Yeah, That's John awesome. John John Fleck. He was uh he was great in the episode. I'm yeah. a, I'm a fan of his work. He's so, really good. And so the guy I, who played the the guy who played the Klingon um he directed the original series, I think, or he was a he was an episodic uh director as well. What's his oh. Do you remember his name? I got to look him up now.
0: I, I don't. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm, Bill's I'm fantastic. <laughs> I'm not sure if he directed the original series. He may have. That may be apocryphal. Uh, I'm not sure. But that's uh, one of
0: the things that's really cool about Star Trek is you get people that have been involved in in all kinds of the different various chapters of all the different series. So when we have somebody who comes on to one of the legacy shows, as it's, I guess now is what it's being called, who used to be on the original series, that's always kind of cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's it's quite a quite a history. I was just looking up the guy's name, uh, but go ahead, Lawrence, keep talking. Lawrence yeah. Dobkin. Oh yeah, Larry Dobkin.
1: And let me see. Oh I, man, I mean, his his IMDb is a who's who of sixties and seventies oh, yeah. television. <laughs> My word, yeah. got everything from Charlie's Angels to Fantasy Island to
2: Hawaii Five O. Oh yeah, Canon. he did it all. Wow, um, emergency. Uh, he directed the original series first season episode. Charlie X. Oh my god. Oh, yes, way now. Back.
0: How,
2: now how about that? That was so cool. Because I remember talking to him about it and and uh I felt kind of honored to to be directing him because of uh of the history that he he brought to that particular episode. I've never cool. put
1: that together. That's episode two of the original series as it was broadcast. <laughs>
2: Isn't that crazy? What a small world show business is. Wow. Oh, pretty
1: god. pretty crazy. I
2: yeah.
1: my mind is blown. We could stop right now and, and I I'm I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so, I mean, obviously, you, you've had a, a few different roles within Star Trek as with producer in the title. And I mean, I, granted, I've never worked in television. What is the difference between, say, supervising producer and line producer? Because I just I see the credits of TV shows that I have like thirty executive producers,
2: but, but more what's money. The yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's there's that. <laughs> that that that's the only difference. Really, a um, uh, unit production manager is below the line. Uh, producers get above the line they get more money and they have less responsibility than the unit manager and as i progressed on the show rick kept giving me better and better credits but my job was essential was, was exactly the same it didn't change um, so that's that's the the nature of the beast the executive producer credit in television is usually a writing uh, producer and the show runner is almost exclusively a uh, a writing producer rick rick was sort of hybrid uh rick was he both wrote for the show but he was also the uh the executive producer for the production overall um, but most of the executive producer credits on the show were writing credits that's
0: that's it, it's, I wish that our jobs could be as easy as, as having the same responsibility, but getting paid better.
2: Yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, that, well, that, that's always been my goal in life less work, yeah, more money.
0: Speaking of, you, you spoke about writing just a moment ago, and, and it, it came to a surprise to both Bill and I last week, David, when we were discussing having you on, that you actually have a writing credit for Deep Space Nine for the Nagus. So I do, and
2: I do indeed. Tell us a little um, bit about that whole process. Well, I probably pitched 50, 50 episodes. Uh, they bought two of them. One of them they didn't produce, and it was about Mrs. Troy and Data being trapped in a shuttle pod uh, together, uh, out in, lost out in space. And it's how these two oddballs came to, to terms with each other. They didn't produce it. But the one they did produce was about uh, was a business kind of thing with with uh, Quark, where he becomes the, the big mucky muck. And the B story was uh, Jake teaching Nog how to read and helping yeah. him in mm-hmm. school. That's the part of the story that they bought. And and but uh, Ira, in his graciousness, still gave me a story credit for it. But I went to the story break for the Nagus. And they had to figure out what the A story was. They wanted to do something that my uh, original uh, idea uh, focused on about Quark becoming a big mucky muck, but they didn't know quite what to do. And I'm sitting in the story break. And this is where my admiration for for writers took a quantum uh, jump is Michael Piller looked at everybody in the room and said, let's do The Godfather. And everybody's eyes just lit up. The light bulbs went on above everybody's head. And he pointed over at Ira and he says, Ira, write it. And Ira wrote it over the weekend. And the next day came in and handed, they handed me this script. And we did The Godfather. Yeah. And I I was I, it's one of my obviously one of my favorite films. And we did an homage to it because they wrote uh the opening scene of The Godfather in the Negus And I was able to uh uh involve all these little bits from The Godfather. For instance, uh, instead of having Brando stroking a cat, uh Michael Westmore gave me one of his uh pencil nose geeky creatures <laughs> that he strokes in it. Um we uh and and I had Armin because he's got these big ass ears yeah. I had him kept flicking his ears. I said I showed him the clip from The Godfather. He says, see how Brando keeps doing that thing to his ears? If you do that on your ears, it's gonna be hilarious. So so I, I thought that was hilarious. And then the other thing was I said, and, and at the production meeting, I said, Oh, I said to the art department, I said, we need shutters on the windows, big, big black, big uh, wooden shutters. And Rick, Rick turned to me sitting next to me. Cause I'm the director and he's the executive producer. He says, we don't have shutters on the windows. I said, come on, Rick. He says, okay, you can have your shutters. So, and then, and then Marvin, uh, Marvin rushed the DP uh, lit it from the top uh what's his name the, the famous cinematographer from the godfather um he oh, always yeah, top yeah. he always top lit stuff so marvin marvin did that as well so it was great to to be able to do that to do kind of a hokey homage to the to the godfather gordon willis gordon willis yeah how do, how could i forget gordon willis's name i had to look you it could- up that's OK.
0: He's good with the Google. Do you get a lot of people that that come to you and say that that recognize that that was purposely done to have that Godfather uh, homage in the beginning of the episode? Do people come up and tell you about that, that they actually mm-hmm. it made sense? Is that just kind of an inside thing?
2: Uh, I think it's more of an inside. I, I I would hope that some people got it because to me, it's pretty obvious. Uh, but, you know, it's I'm I gonna... it, I did it for me. So I'm good.
0: I'm going to disappoint you greatly, even though I I disappoint Bill all the time on on the podcast. I saw The Godfather for the very first time in my entire life, less than five years ago. And I loved it. I loved it. it. I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. I absolutely love it. But it took me that long. Yeah, it's
2: a perfect movie. And The Godfather 2 is also a perfect movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I watch it continually all the time. And every frame is a masterpiece. Every scene is perfect. The casting was perfect. Perfect movies.
1: Did you watch okay. the offer on Paramount Plus, the sort of series that detailed the or dramatized the production?
2: I, I don't remember. I know I know about the offer. I, I'm not sure if we watched it. I, I watch so much stuff on TV now I can't <laughs> remember anymore. It's, it's I was just actually crazy. Su-
1: I was actually surprised by how much I really enjoyed that series because I've seen The Godfather at least 25 times. I think I watch yeah. it at least once a year from the first time I saw it in like 99 um, or thereabouts.
2: If I didn't watch it, I have to watch it. And if I did, did watch it, I'm going to watch it again. (laughs) So (laughs) we we got to take
1: a tour of Paramount um, just before the pandemic hit um, with a friend of ours who works there. And, you know, you're going through the visitor center and we're standing right by some of the, uh, the notable Academy awards. And we're just waiting for our, our private tour to kick off. And next thing I know I'm standing next to the best picture Oscar for the Godfather. I'm like, what is this? This is amazing. I want yeah. this. You know, it was, it was it's one this. of my all-time favorite films. It's amazing. And I just yeah. put together now that the, that there are elements of the Godfather in that episode, because as many times as I've seen it, it never dawned on me.
2: <laughs> well, he was the grand Nagus is the Godfather.
1: Yeah, he really is. Yeah. True. You mentioned the, uh, the first script, um, about, uh, Mrs. Troy and data in a shuttle craft. Um, did that, did elements of that or did that wind up becoming Odo and Loaxana and the turbo lift and the Forsaken? Were there any common elements that were reused or
2: there was another story that I submitted that didn't get bought, but I read a treatment for an upcoming script and it was my story. And I told Jerry Taylor, I said, Jerry, that's my story. She says, David, you don't know how many shows are exactly the same that everybody pitches everything and <laughs> and you know you can't you can't lay that on us it's it's uh uh so many stories have similarities to it so um i i accepted that explanation and that's i'm sure was the case uh with the mind's eye or uh, the, the Lexana troy and and data story it's uh you know there's only so many stories and right. I mean I ended up doing one like that with uh on enterprise with uh trip and uh yeah and Dominic so, shuttle pod one shuttle pod one same mm-hmm. same kind of thing uh you know having uh people uh, oil and water uh, and have <laughs> to have to have to get together to survive
0: oil and water that's bill and me or Bill and I, <laughs> I guess you could say <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you a question David that you probably been asked but a hundred times before, but um I'm going to ask it anyway. You've got 62 directing credits to your to your resume. We'll talk about The Visitor later. That's a special chapter that we're going to talk about. Is there something that stands out to you in all of those episodes that you did as really, really something special?
2: Um, I was always uh, most connected to the shows that uh, left our current reality. We either uh, uh, came to Earth, or, or we went to an alternate reality. Uh, the, uh, I did a zombie show on uh, Enterprise. Those were my favorite. I I got kind of bored uh, shooting on the on the ship,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: and doing space battles and stuff. Um, I I loved it when we got off the ship. And and again, it was it was fish out of water. It, you could see our people having to deal with situations and circumstances they weren't interested in. Also, visually, you could do a a, a lot more. Uh, you could change the lighting when I did a lot of uh, alternate reality shows on uh, I did one in Deep Space Nine, a couple of them where uh, uh, it was an alternate reality and, and you could totally change the look. The characters were different. They were harder edged. They were uh, tougher and nastier and and the visuals uh, uh, matched that as well. So mm-hmm. those those were my favorite episodes to do. And they were they were cha- more challenging visually because you could do more.
1: Oh yeah, by uh, far.
2: Um,
1: it's um, it, it. I'm always I, I'm always interested to see the changes in the medium. You know, I look at sort of today's Star Trek, and a lot of it seems uh, I don't want to say overly cinematic, but uh, you know, it, it it all seems very big and very um, uh, galaxy shattering, if you will. I was going to say earth shattering, but that doesn't seem quite big enough. I think one of the things I love about 90s, 80s and 90s Star Trek and even the 2000s is that it's all still very personal. You can do a show like, you know, the Enterprise zombie show, and it looks like incredibly close quarters and, you know, everything is very intimate in that sense. But you still get this sense of high stakes drama. Um, and I, I, there's a part of me that prefers some of that storytelling better or more, I should say. Um Simply just because it, I think it resonates with me as a as a fan a little more. Do you find, you know, as you look at things online and as you hear from various people, that that that's true in a sense, or or, or do you think it's
2: just personal preference? Uh, well, I've heard that the that the new Star Trek shows do have this kind of epic and widescreen uh, quality to them, and that the visual effects are really spectacular and all that, which is fine. I yeah. uh, hey. However, whatever gets the drama to work. Um, So whether it's intimate or I did a lot of very intimate dramas and I did some that were just uh, ball busters. Um, But at the core, uh, you have to have heart. You have to be uh, telling a story that's compelling and it has to be about life and death. Um, If you have if you follow those uh, guidelines, then you can't. It doesn't matter what you put up on the screen as long as you have those elements. That that sounds a little cliche, but but that's that's the the you know Aristotelian drama. It's it all goes back to that. A, a, a lot of stuff today, you know. Michael Michael Bay might be an example of it, where uh, sometimes the heart is missing, and it's just about the uh, uh, the largess of it. Uh, and that's not to pick on Michael Bay, but. He's symptomatic of that style of of filmmaking and, sure. and uh um i I think there's something lacking when when you lose the the heart of it and the and the soul.
0: Sorry, well, speak- michael well <laughs> well speaking of of the heart and soul, uh Bill and I have had several discussions about this episode. We had a a great panel uh during Trek talks about this episode, and we have called it for years. Star Trek's finest hour and that's the visitor. Um it is our probably it is our number one ranked uh episode of Star Trek in the over 800 episodes that uh have been produced over the last 50 plus years. Um and of course that was that was a a, a heart heart filled drama i mean how much more um love and heart can you have in an episode that is about this this bond between father and son and although we've talked about it before on the telephone david can you take us back a little bit to what it was like to direct that episode you had such great talent with sirak and tony todd and of course avery um is that one of the special moments of your career with star trek with the visitor
2: well first of all you guys have exquisite taste <laughs> Uh, it's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. I, uh, Steve Oster, I, it was, I had gone freelance. I had left my producing job and came back as a freelance director and I got the script for the visitor and I read it and I went to Steve Oster who had taken my position on, on D space nine. I said, Steve, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't get this. It's, it's all talk. And I, this isn't Star Trek. Well, I, I'm good. This is the end of my directing career. And he said, David, go home and read it again, please. So I went home. I read it again. And then I looked over at my son, who was about 11, 10 or 11 at the time. And I said to myself, oh, I get it. It had gone right over my head. And it, well, I thank goodness I got it. Because without, without understanding what the core of this thing was and what the heart was, um, it was just stupid on my part. I, you know, uh, I'll admit to that. But I did, I did finally get it. And Michael Taylor, the original writer, and the amazing rewrite that Renee Echeviera did on it, which brought in much more of the heart, uh, it's, it, it ended up being an extraordinary piece of writing. So that was the gift to me as a director. The next job was how do you cast this thing? Yeah, and no, I said, well, what about Ciroc? <laughs> which was <laughs> which was a crazy idea, but they actually looked at Ciroc and he did some tests and stuff, but it wasn't going to happen. He just doesn't have didn't have the maturity to to pull it off. And I remember standing outside of the casting office with Ron Surma, who was uh, Junie Lowry's casting associate. And I'm saying, I what are we going to do? We got to get. I mean, this actor has got to be unbelievable for this part. Who do we get? Who do we get? And Ron looked at me and said, "How about Tony Todd?" And I said, "I, I don't know Tony Todd, but <laughs> yeah, let's let's bring him in." Well, the rest is history. And uh, my main job on the set with Tony was to not make him cry and to to tell him he couldn't cry in every take. Uh, it was the most emotionally wrenching performance that i have ever experienced and then the woman who the reporter uh the visitor Mm -hmm. uh is andy robinson's daughter rachel right yeah right and she she has not had a lot of acting experience or anything but she came in and nailed it i got a lot of help here uh ira said david what are you going to do aren't you going to rehearse this and i said rehearse I'd never rehearsed anything. So, so I said to the actors, well, do you want to come to my house? And and we I happened to have a fireplace. And uh, uh, Rachel and Tony came over to my house. We sat in f- front of my fireplace and we rehearsed the heck out of it for a couple of days. We got all the beats down so that when we hit the stage, there was a fireplace there. It was just like being at my house. And we were able to let it all happen. So all these people... Forced me into paying attention to the material and to being aware that it was something special. So it's it's my gratefulness to all those uh, who were involved in the process. The way that uh, the way that it was lit was was beautiful. Uh, everything everything about it, and I did a really good job of shooting it. Hell yeah. Uh,
0: i was i yeah. was just gonna say you know the music itself is its own character and those tight oh, yeah. shots that you have of 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 him holding the baseball and 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 just the whole way that the camera moves in that episode every you talked about it in the godfather a few minutes ago everything in the visitor in my opinion is perfect it yeah, is well, the you. perfect star trek episode
2: day, but really. but all but all those close-ups the, those were the days that i was sick and it was another director but but thank you anyway <laughs> No, the, the close-up is the most powerful uh tool in the director's toolkit. And as long as it's used properly and judiciously. And I tried to save the really, really, really close-ups for the very, the very last moment. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for recognizing. it. I also contributed one other thing. Yeah. The at the beginning of the episode, uh, it's a dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not a dark and, dark and stormy night in the script. And I said, no, we got to make it a dark and stormy night because that's the cliche. It's got to be raining. She has to be coming in drenched. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's what we did. That, uh, the special effects guys weren't th- th- too thrilled about it because they had to visqueen the entire uh, uh, area on the stage around there because of all the water that would leak out onto the stage floor. But they made it work.
1: You know, it's all worth I, it. I've seen plenty of movies and TV that make me emotional, you know, whether extreme happiness or or even you know tears. But I have never seen a Star Trek episode that makes me literally weep. It's not just a good cry. I mean, it is. It levels me every time I watch the Visitor, and I think every that, time, literally every time. And I've seen it. I, I can't, I've lost count of how many times I've seen this episode because anytime it's on, I prepare because I have to have tissues. I have to have water you know i have to i it's an experience every single time and it is consistently awesome every single time the it loses nothing off a fastball
2: that that is that is so cool that is that is so cool to hear i watched it uh uh because uh, because we were going to talk about it in a Trek talks and i hadn't seen it in what 15 20 years and i got teary eyed yeah i i was a because I was so detached from it, I was looking at it as an audience member and I was really moved by it. I have to admit, but I have to admit something to you guys because you (laughs) called me on something. Yeah. You, I I don't know. I think it was, was it, I think it was Dan who said, um, did Cisco remember (laughs) what happened to him? And I said, Oh no, no, no. Well, when I, I looked at the episode, that portion of it again, and I think you guys are right.
0: Oh God, thank you. But
2: but, <laughs> but from a directing standpoint, it doesn't matter what I right. thought. Right. It's yeah. what Avery thought. And I never asked Avery what his decision was. That's mm-hmm. the secret of the actor. But, but as an actor, he had to make that decision, whether or not he remembered. But the way that he says the line, I am now, Jake, yes. or whatever it is, I think I have to, I have to agree with you guys. But it's interesting because unlike the the inner, in the inner light Picard uh supposedly is affected for the rest of his life as a mm-hmm. character by what happened on the inner light and I remember us talking about it and how Patrick was going to remember this and it would always color how he reacted because he lived this whole other life I don't think that happened with Cisco I don't think it color I don't mm-hmm. think it it it, it it reflected on the rest of his life it may have and avery may have used it as an actor but i, I don't know yeah you know, it's Curious interesting it's so interesting because you
1: know you, you talked earlier about the close-up and i think that avery's look in that scene when he says i am now kind of conveys that that feeling to to dan and and, and i that mm-hmm. that he has to remember because i think it adds even more gravity to the story
2: right well i agree i it's better that he does remember so yeah. uh I uh, I stand corrected.
1: <laughs> oh, no, because I mean, it's like you said, it's, it's in the eye of the of the viewer to some extent. You know, yeah. I think that I think that given the relationship that Jake and Benjamin have, I can believe that Benjamin takes that with him. But they already had a very close and open and loving relationship that I think that that probably just deepened it, you know, for Benjamin in his own mind, because that was always on display throughout Deep Space Nine.
2: And it was genuine. Uh, 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 Avery is a is a father figure to Serac, uh, and they still communicate. And it's it's really, from what I understand, a really lovely relationship. I was able to talk to Serac a little bit about it recently. Oh,
0: that's good. Uh, one of the things I want to I want to kind of pile onto what Bill said a minute ago, and I have to tell you, um, a few years back, I've I've seen it countless times as well. And like Bill said, full on weep. Weeping whenever the episode is on. And when I was doing a Deep Space Nine watch or rewatch for me, but my wife was watching it for the first time and 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 she really got into it. I had to warn her before this episode. I said, hon, a minute and a half into this episode, I am going to be inconsolable. I just want to let you know right now. And sure enough, I just it just. You, you, even if you try not to, you can't help but but weep in this. And I wanted to say one thing about this episode too, David. You talked about the importance of the close-ups. As, as unbelievable as the end of this episode is with everything that happens, one of the most um, beautiful scenes for me in the entire episode is when Cisco is in sick bay and talking to Jake. And he says, how are you doing? And Jake just breaks down. That is one of the most powerful points of the entire episode to me. And there's still 40 minutes to go in the, the, uh, or 30 minutes to go in the episode. It's, and it's got that close up that we talked about. I just think it's, it's just such a, a, such a well uh, acted and well written and well directed scene. It's just fantastic.
2: So Rock's got some, uh, some chops. That's for sure.
0: He really does. Yeah.
2: When you yeah. uh, when you uh, mentioned uh, rewatching I, oh, The
1: Visitor, real quick. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh, but I apologize. No, no, go um, ahead. Do you find yourself rewatching the finished product after you've directed and then sat through editing? No,
2: uh, invariably, I would never uh, watch uh, the episode after my director's cut um, because uh, <laughs> there might be some disappointment involved. <laughs> uh, that's not to cast uh, aspersions on any particular uh, process, but my cut was my version of the of the episode, and and yet when I saw the visitor with the music and everything after all those years, it all worked perfectly. So, but I did I did get reprimanded by Rick Berman on the episode though. Really, really, yeah, yeah. He called me into his office after it was done. And he closed the door and he says, "David, I have to tell you, you made my wife cry <laughs> that's that's rick's that's rick's way to to compliment one that was the rick the Rick Berman method that would do it <laughs> That's awesome um
0: One of the things I wanted to bring up with you david is is a very personal one. We had a chance to chat. Uh, in Vegas when we met, which was a fantastic night kicking off Trek Talks too, but we got to have a moment together. And and I told you my story, which all of our listeners know, so I won't go into detail about it. And you said something to me that just really, really hit me in a in a good way. I told you about how Star Trek saved my life, and 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 you, you hugged me and said, "Wow, for me it was just a job." Knowing the effect that you and all the other people have, who worked on Star Trek have made, does it change anything about how you thought of that time working on all of these episodes?
2: No question. What you did was you gave me a, a wonderful gift because it really put things in perspective. Uh, It touched me so, so deeply. and. It it changed my opinion from it being a job to something where I was providing something that would give solace and succor to to people. Hmm. Um, I never I knew that Gene had this positive view of the future, and that was the whole thing about the Star Trek universe. And we were all glad to work on the show, and that it always had a positive uh, outlook on terms of the future of humanity and that we always told little moral tales and stuff but your your experience made it so personal to me and that made all the difference in the world so again i am grateful that you were willing to to share that with me it was it was a gift so
0: well, it, again it, thank you it, well it's always been uh, my uh, Desire to be able to share my story with the people that have been involved in Star Trek because you know I was a fan in the 70s, just like Bill was as a kid. But it has much, it has so much more meaning to me after what happened in the uh, early 2000s, and and even though. <clears throat> um it was captive pursuit was not your episode um it's still something that i want to thank everybody involved in star trek whenever i have the opportunity and i i I, know i'm willing to bet and bill you'll probably back me up on this i'm sure that there's somebody out there who's got a similar type of of circumstance or feeling with what goes on in their life with their father or with their son and having an episode like the visitor helps change their lives. Also, I have no doubt that that is out there somewhere.
2: Well, my son and I talk about it all the time he knows the story about, about what happened. And, and, and we talk about the visitor a lot and and the impact that it, that it had on me. And I'm, I'm sure it colored our relationship in a way. It just made me, it made me more appreciative of what I had because it's, it's an episode about loss and, and, uh, uh, loss is tough. <laughs> uh,
1: by far, you know, um, it's interesting. We ran into you kind of haphazardly at the convention and then, uh, it was literally right outside our booth. We didn't realize yep. it was you because of course you had your mask on and we had our mask on and then you took off your mask. I'm like, Oh my God, it's David. Um, this leads me to, you know, springboarded off of what Dan was just talking about. Um, you clearly have been to Star Trek conventions, probably plural. Um, Do you like being able to sort of mix in among the fans and, and take part in the discussion or even just to observe?
2: Yeah. You say I took off my mask. Dan was blue. Well it's true, yeah. He was, yeah, an, he, he, was. was an, he was an Andorian. Were you an Andorian? Is that what you were?
0: No, I was actually Thanos from the Marvel oh. Universe in a star oh. in a Starfleet uniform.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, it was pretty, it was pretty scary, is what it was. But I love I love being with the I love being with the fans. I got to and but I got to see all these co- people that were my cohorts for so many years. Yeah. And it was like with you guys, it's a bromance with all those. With all my guys, they it was a bromance. Seeing all seeing all the all of them again, and we're all, you know, hugging and stuff, and and uh, it, it was it's it's really special. And and the fans are crazy because some of them recognize me. What's really horrifying though is they don't they not only recognize me, they cosplay me. I there was that. a woman. There was a woman at at at, at the convention who came up to me, she looked like Albert Einstein. She had this weird hair (laughs) and and this this green sweater on. And I said, she said, I said, hi, how are you? she says, hi, I'm you. you, I said, what do you mean I'm you? She said, I play you as a cosplayer. And she dressed as David Livingston and goes to conventions (laughs) playing me. That's insane, but wonderful. And the green sweater was actually the color of the sweater. That's my publicity photo for the convention. Yes. And the hair was ostensibly what my hair was. But <laughs> that's not the only cosplay story. I was at an event one day and this woman comes up to me out of the blue and she says, are you David Livingston? And I said, yeah. And she says, um, uh, I, I, I play you. I'm a cosplayer and I play you. I said, What are you talking about? She said, I play you. I said, You mean me? She she said, No, you as the fish. I dress up <laughs> as Livingston at a convention. She says, I have a full body suit of the fish and I and I cosplay you. That it that is unbelievable. I mean, here's somebody behind the scenes, behind the camera, and I've got two people who are <laughs> cosplaying me. That is just mind blowing.
1: It, it's it's all those DVD special features you've been in.
2: I guess That's so. Not, yeah. I, boy, I, I just wish I had a picture of of her in the in the fish, though. That's something.
0: Oh, I'm sure I, it's out there somewhere. It's gone. When, it, I, when <laughs> I go, to,
2: when I have gone to conventions, they, you, know, you have to sign at the end. It's part of your contract. Yeah. And they bring up the little trading cards. And I had three trading cards. Two of them were my face, and one was the fish. And invariably, <laughs> the fish would outsign the others ten to one. Wow! Yeah,
0: unreal.
1: Yeah. So, so going back to your conversation with Dan, where you said this was just a job back in the day, um in hindsight <laughs>
0: um
1: from my perspective as a fan and also now as somebody who whom I'm happy to to call you know a friend of yours um can, can you see a little bit about how much this fandom appreciates your work and and truly loves your contributions?
2: Yeah, you don't know how gratifying it is. I mean, I'm a legend of my own mind now. I, it's, just, <laughs> it, it's crazy. I, I should ask for more money, but it was scale, you know. <laughs> Thank God there's still residuals. I mean, I I've died. Hey, my career would have never been anything like it was, even if I got a, got to finally direct episodic without being with, without the Star Trek world. That that was unique. And it was a unique world for all of us who got to work on it. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. I get to go to conventions and see all my old buddies. I get to meet you guys. I get to do uh, 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 Trek talks uh, and and try and raise money for the Hollywood Food Coalition. I mean, it's it's just it, Star Trek is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's all because of that one guy back yeah. in in the 60s who said, OK, I got an idea where uh, Humanity is going to come out on the on the good on the, on the on the on the positive side here, and how that has resonated across decades, half a century. It, it's extraordinary what this what this man did. And yeah. I got to tell you, I don't think he had a clue when he was doing it that, no. uh, that what what he brought. But but he had a vision and he had an idea, and he brought it to fruition. And so many artists subsequent to that have fed into that and have and have kept, uh, been kept honest to it, even though Rick, you know, had on his, you know what he had on his desk.
1: Yeah, the Gene right, Bust with the GM blindfold. Bust, yeah.
2: Right, but but he still was faithful to Gene, there, I I think. Other yeah, people yeah. may have different views about Rick, but I love Rick Berman, I own my career. You
0: know, it's funny, David, you just said something that made me think, and, and again, not I'm not disparaging in any way. I wouldn't be surprised if if the mindset was similar to what you used to think, it was just a it was just a job for him. He had he did so many things back then. This was just another thing that he wanted to get off the ground. And now look where we are. And got canceled
2: in later. the by NBC in the second yeah. season. And right. Okay, that's that's the end of that. Yep. Well, this thing will never last. Back to Fifty years later, <laughs> la- sixty years later, it's yeah.
1: whoa, So insane. I, I hope that next year in Las Vegas for the convention, which will be back at the Rio, we one we hope you'll be there. Two, we hope your better half will be with you because we yes. met her this past year, and we. We just absolutely adored her. Um, but more importantly, we hope that you'll join us for a panel uh, that's yet to be determined. And we hope you'll be our guest at at our annual party um, at, for in Vegas, which is usually the, the biggest party of the weekend. Because I, um, I would
2: love that. I, I, I hope that I haven't worn out my welcome. I, I don't no. know if Adam and uh, <laughs> will, will have me back again. But uh, the Rio? Really? I thought they were going to dynamite that thing. Who would have
0: ever thought people would say, I can't wait till the convention is back at the Rio.
2: (laughs) Well, I know that there were issues, but it's a little long in the tooth. I mean, come on. It's not as long as Bally's. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah. It was, Hey, I was glad to be there. We had a great time. Dorothy, as you said, is my wife and, and we had our pup Lulu along as well. Oh, she was. They were both great. Yeah. We, uh, we, we love, we loved uh, doing that. So.
0: Great. David we'd uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the Hollywood Food Coalition and the wonderful work that you do for that organization um it it just happened to be with a conversation with John Billingsley last year that this all came to be with Trek Talks and a, a very successful uh first uh, uh fundraiser last year um what is it like to be uh, not only on the board uh, with Hollywood Food Coalition, but to be able to be there to help these people? Because that's very—that's something you're very passionate about. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that, and and what it's like for you to 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 be um, working with Hopeful Co on a daily basis.
2: Uh, my career now is as a photographer. I'm an entertainment photographer for Getty Images. I shoot red carpet, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but my private work, uh, one of the projects that I did starting in 2000, in twenty nineteen, was I, I would we go out for walks with with our dog, and in, in parks all around Los Angeles uh, and and in Santa Monica along um, uh, the Palisades Palisades Park, and the homeless all I and I would take pictures with my with my iPhone, and when I got home and I put the, the pictures into uh, into my photos app. Almost all of them were of homeless people, and I said the camera is trying to tell me something. So uh, for the next six months, I went around with my iPhone only and photographed the homeless all through uh, Los Angeles County, and I put up a couple of uh, photo exhibits of of the homeless. And John Billingsley saw the first uh, uh, the the uh, the prototype of the first exhibit. and and was very moved by the photographs and asked if I wanted a partnership with his organization called the Hollywood Food Coalition. Uh, And I said, great. So we had a partnership and we had a great turnout. Uh, People all around the world came to the two exhibits and we got a ton of of physical and uh, monetary donations. And after that, John asked if I wanted to join the board of directors and I said, yes. So I made a three-year commitment and uh, uh, I've been with them ever since. Uh, I um, for a year I shot all their social media and still photography uh, for all of their social media, and uh, um, and and then we uh, launched Trek Talks, which was uh, introducing the Hollywood Food Coalition to the Star Trek community, and it's an organization which basically provides food to those who who can't get it, who can't afford it, who. Uh, Uh, who are down and down on their luck. And uh, it's so basic. Uh, The first thing you need is shelter. The second thing you need is food. If you don't have those two things, you can't function as a human being. Mm -hmm. So I am proud to be part of an organization that's giving at least one of those important elements so that people can hopefully get out of the morass that they're in. And so many people in the last couple of years, especially with COVID, have fallen uh, fallen through the cracks. They've gone from the lower middle class and into poverty and and to homelessness. And my hope and desire is that whatever we're doing in the Hollywood Food Coalition, uh, in terms of food distribution all around Los Angeles County, is to is to give that helping hand and to give that meal so that people have hope to rise above. Uh, their given circumstances. So I'm proud to be part of it. And I'm so grateful to you guys producing uh the Trek Talks uh t- uh uh zoomathon uh with John champ champion with the Roddenberry Foundation and and as you said we made uh we raised 80000 dollars and I'm hoping we uh, make at least a hundred K this coming January. So uh again thank you for what you guys did. It was uh and we had a hundred percent turnout everybody yeah. And oh my gosh! The, everybody yeah. that we asked appeared. They might have been in their car, mm-hmm. uh, holding up the phone <laughs> yep. while they were driving, which probably wasn't a good idea. I think Garrett Garrett Garrett, Garrett did that, but that's typical Garrett. Um, but don't tell him I said that. Uh, but yeah, uh, people people everybody showed up one way or another. It was it was phenomenal the turnout.
1: You know, it's amazing because as we sit here in New Hampshire, and you're about as far away from us as you can be in in, in California, as we were planning and producing Trek Talks, you sent me some of the images from your your Still Lives project photos. And I have to say that um, it, it really kind of brought what we were doing home for me. I mean, because I, we live in New Hampshire, it's it, it, although there is a, a homeless issue, or, or i want to say problem, because there's an issue with having too many homeless people in New Hampshire and, and our largest city, it's nowhere near the extent it is in some of the major metropolitan areas like New York or Los Angeles or Boston. Um, so while it's easier to, I don't want to say avoid or to turn a blind eye to, I was grateful for your photographs because it really brought the humanity home to me. And that's really when it like kind of dawned on Marblehead here. And I said, wow, this is what we're doing. This is who we're helping these, these people, not homeless people, these people. And I I really have to thank you for, for sharing those because I, I really think they are they're
2: wonderful art, but you're welcome. But your experience was exactly mine. I was in the avoidance stage, and once I started walking around with my iPhone, it was so in my face that I couldn't I couldn't avoid it any longer. And I had, for my own sake, I had to deal with it. So I interpreted the work from my personal point of view, and it seemed to resonate. John John Billingsley particularly said because I I highly saturate everything and make the world that these people live in seem okay. And that's not a negative. It's to make them more accessible. Mm -hmm. So many times I see pictures of homeless people where they're down and out. It's black and white. It's ugly. It's horrible. It's hideous. My approach to it was the opposite. And that seemed to have worked. It certainly worked for John and, and it worked for a lot of the audience. So I appreciate you, uh, getting that part of it because that that was the intention to make them seem like people not just homeless people. Yeah, so it, thank it, you.
1: No, thank you. It, it removed the bleakness from that those other types of photos that you remember because everything always seems very um empty, and very, you know, without hope. And I think that that's what, you know, that you talk about the saturation. I think that's what the the brilliance in those photos is. It's like, yeah. you know, this is we all live in the same world. Um but we all have markedly different you know experiences, and to see yeah, something, them, yeah, to see something of their experience, really just, it, I don't, I don't want to say it was a slap in the face, but that's as as close as I can come.
2: Yeah, a lot of them lead very very rich lives. A lot of times it's just in their head, but right. and I and I had mm-hmm. a lot of them, and I had great conversations with them. I mean, this one guy, he he had a mirror that he he always held up, and I'm I'm saying. And I got a picture of him with holding up his mirror and he's holding up. And I said, what are you doing with the mirror? And he says, I'm reflecting all the bad rays back into space so they can't come down to earth. So God bless these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, this guy may have personally saved the earth and we don't know that. How do we know that's not real? I mean, on Star, that would have made a great Star Trek episode. Absolutely. Who's to say whether it is? (laughs) He's not right. I'm not.
0: God bless him.
1: Yeah,
0: Absolutely. (laughs) and and i think that's one of the things that we hope to accomplish with Trek talks 2 david is is to be able to bring this fandom which is so big and so passionate together to shine a light on this on this issue so that we can get uh one of the things that john billingsley has talked about is to get more involvement in different communities other than Los Angeles, but at the same time, be Hollywood Food Coalition related. So um, I'm really hoping that we have as successful a uh, uh, an event as we did last year. Like you said, I'm looking for at least six figures. Um, it's it's going to happen. I'm going to say it right now. Gavel is coming down. It's going to happen and it's going to well, be a fantastic
2: event. Well, and and we define it as Trektivism. Star Trek, mm-hmm. we want to translate that point of view about life into activism and I don't know who coined the term tractivism. It's great, but that's what it's about. How do we motivate those people who live who who live the values of Star Trek? How do we get them to then give that to the community? Um, so that, that's our goal. Uh, and and again I'm grateful for all of the people that, that participated and gave and and all the people that volunteer and um Hey, we're all in this together. We're all on one, big, right.
0: we one are. thing rotating that's, around. And that's right. We, Absolutely. we need to, uh,
2: we need to get that. That's the case.
0: <laughs> well, uh, we're looking forward to the event. That's going to be January 14th, 2023. Uh, David, it's been fantastic having you uh, on Trek Geeks finally uh, to talk about your experiences. Uh, David Livingston, ladies and gentlemen, the Star Trek director, 62 episodes. Um, it's been so great to get to know you over the course of the last year and a half and and to call you a friend, uh, David. And uh, we look forward to the time that we can get together in person again to uh, to celebrate this thing called Star Trek and a successful Trek Talks too. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you.
1: So Dan, after we did our original Trek Talks telephone just earlier this year, mm-hmm. we keep saying last year, but it was this year. That's true. Um, we talked for a long time about that visitor panel and, and sort of David's idea that Benjamin didn't oh. remember everything. And you and I were just totally flabbergasted. I was As, like, what? It's <laughs> like, did, did we not read it right? I yeah. mean, to hear him today wow. was amazing. I was, I was stunned. I came to that revelation.
0: I was like, "Oh my God, we are being." He's he's correcting himself based on what we said in that panel, and he went and rewatched it. Oh my God, and I'm so glad he did. It made me feel great because trying to think of how it would be like that Ben didn't remember just it would never make sense to me. And and I'm so glad that he now thinks the same way that we do. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that we're not idiots. I think this is what this comes down well, to. Well, I wouldn't go that far. We're both <laughs> huge idiots. But at least now we have somebody agreeing with us, which is pretty cool.
1: Enormous idiots. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, David has lowered himself to our himself to our level. That's really what this comes down to.
0: That pretty much, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, d- totally. But
1: what a... What a fantastic conversation. You and I have talked to a lot of people involved with Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And every time we say this is probably one of my favorite, but I mean this with no hyperbole. This absolutely was one of my favorite conversations of the almost 300 episodes we've ever done.
0: I, I can't agree more. It was so much fun. The energy he brings. I mean, this was a long time ago that he did this stuff. And he still has so much passion for it, and he remembers so many details. And that's what a good director does, I'm sure, and somebody who's really good at his job. And it was just a true blessing to have him on the show, finally, uh, as we get close to 300. It took us long enough, but I guess we saved the best for later. For 292. (laughs)
1: And you say a long time ago, the dude's only 39. I mean, he's not that old. I
0: know. He was like six when he directed his first episode. I know. It's It's good. really amazing. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Dan, you know what else is fabulous and tremendous? Fabulous. Tremendous. Fabulous. Our friends, the band Five Year Mission. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about them every week and we do it out of love because without them, the Trek Geeks podcast would not sound the way it does. We mm. we love what their music adds to this show. We It's almost like its own character in our podcast, in a sense. Yeah. We talk about how the music influences Star exactly. Trek. The music influences our discussion, and and it just wouldn't be the same show without it. So we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Become a huge fan of the band, please. We're begging you because they truly are awesome. One song for each of the original episodes of classic Star Trek and who knows what they'll do when the five-year mission's over. Maybe they'll extend. You never know.
0: You never know. Uh, you know, when I'm not getting sued by them, I love them also. You got <laughs> sued
1: once, and it was your own fault.
0: It was, but, not, but that's the only time I didn't love them. And then it was kind of like a neutral decision, so I love them anyway. It, it, don't even start me on that one. I'm just going to go right back. But I want to talk to you about this week's episode because it's very, very I'm important. I'm sure you do. It is, yeah. So <clears throat> I got to tell you, I, I know you're going to agree with me, Bill. I love Lower Decks, and you love Lower Decks fair statement correct yes i think it is absolutely fair yeah. uh, it's so good it's so funny the characters are so great like the guy who has all those cybernetic implants to help him play drums better uh, oh, no. it, it, it's a good thing too otherwise because the band might have replaced him at some point i'm not gonna lie um it is a mystery how he got those implants i hope we're gonna see that maybe in season three or season four uh, i'm just happy that they get that they did put those implants in you know what i'm talking about buddy i know you passed out and you probably can't even hear me but but it's good old ensign Sam Rutherfark. He is a class act drummer man, and I can't wait to see what happens with him as we continue down the road of lower decks. Hello, I'm Bill. Dead. I'm <laughs> dead. Yes, <laughs> I don't even see him on screen right now. But yeah, I'm, was...
1: I'm dead. <laughs> I I don't I don't know what the hell is going on in your head. I just Sam Rutherfark. Rutherfark.
0: Yeah, hey, you know what? He's a good drummer now. Not to say that he was a bad drummer before, because I know that's what the next comment's gonna be, but now he's just got that extra cybernetic but ding ding ding, yeah,
1: I guess that's better than you doing something like the u s s Fark Ritos. oh
0: that um, would I would never do something that dumb that's you absolutely your mouth, would my- do something like that <laughs> okay. these are these are terrible, oh, come on now i you know i I beg to differ, and I think some of our listeners do too, and I can't wait to see their comments.
1: The listeners, the listeners love you, Dan, <laughs> and I'm pretty convinced they don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> I have long since passed that barrier. Wow, and I just
0: don't care. Okay, well, thank you anyway. <laughs> Sam Rutherfark. Yep.
1: Yeah, fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their albums. We're begging you, and listen to their podcast here on the Trek Geeks Podcast mm-hmm. Network because it's pretty awesome. It We're is not going to awesome. lie. Yeah. Um, to, of course, Dan. We have this fantastic Patreon campaign and we're so lucky to have so many people provide their support to the Trek Geeks podcast network via Patreon. Every bit of growth that Trek Geeks has seen over the past seven years is directly related to the support that we got on Patreon. And we are so grateful for everybody That supports us
0: absolutely uh it's hard to put into words how it feels when we we look on our patreon page and see so many people are there interacting um going on discord which is one of the perks that you can get when you're on patreon and having conversations even though i'm not there nearly as much as i should be uh but that's a discussion uh for another time you can also get pins t-shirts and I, i i gotta say who would not want to hear unedited shenanigans of bill and i you're gonna get that if uh, you want to join. If you want to uh, join Patreon, so head on over to uh, uh, our our page uh, and 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 just join. Check it out trekgeeks.com slash patreon you're gonna get all the details it's gonna no. be fantastic I patreon.com
1: slash trekgeeks
0: i didn't write it down this time that's why it's later in the copy that's right i saw it's okay so we'll just try that again but uh right now we want to take a moment to see th- unedited unedited shenanigans that's oh that's gonna I'm stay saying. in oh i that's know you, you leave all in. my mistakes in and that's okay right now we do want to take a moment to thank our associate producers for trek geeks as always we are just so grateful for their support and they are Vikram Bhatt, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escadero, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Jim McMahon, Aaron Mollenkopf, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Desi Rogers, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robel, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hatchets. Wow. You really jumped
1: up an octave there. That was pretty <laughs> impressive. Yeah. Of course, we want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are... Mike Bovia, Steve Bovia, Jazz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonagall, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Casey Pettit, Jamie Rogers, Major Self, Casey Shasky, Terry Shull, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the tremendously terrific Jude Tatman.
0: Tremendously terrific. I like that. Every week, it's a great description. Uh, you too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. It is so easy to do. Here's that spot in the copy that I didn't think was there before. Head on over to patreon.com Trek Geeks for all the details.
1: You have been reading that copy for three f-
0: hours. I was <laughs> I'm like, why is it not where it's supposed to? Because it was where it was supposed to. I was just ahead of myself or behind myself. I really don't care.
1: Oh, my word. Uh, Of course, for more great... No, wait. I'm skipping ahead because I'm lost. See see what you Uh, do? Dad, next week, and I assure you, this is totally by coincidence. Yes. But as we record this episode, it was 54 years ago today that this particular episode first aired. And suffice it to say, it's the one that generates a lot of opinion on both sides of the Star Trek aisle.
0: Yeah, 54 years. That's that's just absolutely unbelievable. It's nuts. It was the premiere of season three of TOS. It's still one of my favorite episodes. Some people say it's the worst episode of TOS, but we happen to love it. Morgs, iMorgs, pain belts, and a Frankenstein-like Vulcan running off the world's first TV remote. We're going to defend TOS Season 3, Spock's Brain, and we're going to do it next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network.
1: And you know what? Next week, we're only going to use five-year mission bumps from the Spock's Brain album. That's pretty smart. And we're going to tie it all together and next week. Next week on Trek Geeks. Of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the other member podcasts here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. So many shows all created by passionate fans who just want to celebrate Star Trek and Gene's vision. You can find all our podcasts in the free Trek Geeks mobile app or get a link to your favorite podcast player by visiting trekgeeks.com listen.
0: The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one talks Trek like we do. They really
1: don't because they couldn't. No. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek show, please visit our great friends at TrekNews dot For now, this has been episode number two hundred ninety two of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Wow, wow, the cocoa coconut. Wow, wow,
0: cocoa no. coconut. Wow, wow, no, bang, 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 bang,
2: no, no. Wow.
1: Do not sully that song with coconut. The match game Think Q music is is it should be revered, not butchered with coconut no
0: (laughs) music for trek geeks is provided by five-year mission they're writing an original song for each episode of star trek hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net trek geeks is a production of coconut media works executive producers bill smith and dan davidson
1: Bobby, we you went out and did out and bing, bing,
0: bong. Bong, <laughs> bong. Wow. That was Little Ocean's me. Eleven for you, though. I like that. That was probably one of the best bing bongs we've had. So bing bong back at you, baby. <laughs> and that's for, that's for a couple of reasons.
1: Yeah. There's, there's a tie-in to Buck Rogers here. Okay. So Henry Silva, the last remaining unofficial member of the Rat Pack, died at the age of 95 this week. Also, this week, the forty third anniversary of Buck Rogers in the twenty fifth century. I did see that in which Henry Silva was Killer Kane.
0: I did not know that.
1: He wa- he was in the movie. He didn't do the series. That was Michael Ansara. Oh,
0: I did not know that. That is some wild and really good stuff. Did you see Buck Rogers in the theater when it came out? I want to say yes, but I honestly don't remember. I think I did. So I went to a
1: theater in Hooksett, New Hampshire. It was the Jerry Lewis Theater. Because there used to be a string of Jerry Lewis movie theaters. Yep. And this was the only one in New Hampshire. And that space now is a butcher shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was a terrible little theater.
0: That's, that's But
1: Buck of- Rogers was a terrible little movie.
0: It's one of the ones that, yeah. you know, it's kind of like, if if I remember correctly, wasn't it? Didn't it go along the same lines with Battlestar Galactic? Battlestar Galactic came out with a movie. And then they came out with the series, and in the movie, Baltar dies. Like, he gets beheaded by the Cylons pretty quickly. That's right. But in yeah. the movie, he's back. And then and the TV version, as they're swinging the sword, the imperious leader says, wait. And so he's spared. Is it similar with Buck Rogers, how it was a movie and then it became a TV series?
1: Yes. Okay. And in fact, those, both those shows are from Glenn Larson, yes. the producer, yep. who also did, like, Knight Rider and a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, when the movie debuted on NBC... For the first time, they actually added a, a scene to the end, which sort of showed Buck's life starting off in New Chicago and having him go to work for the Earth Defense Directorate, <laughs> which launched the next week, which was the premiere of the series. Wow.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, clearly, clearly not part of the film when it was released. Uh,
0: uh, that's okay. I'll always have a, a soft spot in my heart for Erin Gray. I loved her in that show. That vampire Kurt episode. Wilma Deering. Oh my god! One of the hottest scenes ever on television. As a child, was when she was fighting that space vampire guy.
1: <laughs> you know, and
0: that vampire just
1: looked really dumb. So
0: dumb. <laughs> Worse than you, dumb. Wow. No, I have to get it in there now because I'm going to be nice wow. the rest of the day. So are you? Yeah.
1: That'd be a first. Love you. Love you. <laughs> See, in the first season, Wilma Deering, or even in the movie, Wilma Deering is a very competent, Mm -hmm. Mm tough-as-nails officer. It's through the rest of the series she becomes kind of Buck's sidekick and and sort of prototypical um, uh, woman in second position that has to defer to a man.
0: Yeah. Yes, I will agree with that wholeheartedly. But it's still, I still love her. She was always great. Oh, I, the show, I love her That right? show was just not, it was not, I, I'm kind of wondering, I, I think I got to give the nod to Battlestar Galactica over Buck Rogers of which show was better. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Buck I Rogers percent. just a little bit, yeah. So. Dumb. So people can't see it on screen, but I'm going to show you my progress on my face. Oh. Rifle. Look at so that bad to, boy. To
1: describe sure. it for everybody, you've got the body. Yeah you know, the, the stock, the barrel all put together. It's yeah. it's pretty life-size. The only thing you don't really have is sort of the the scope attachment that goes on
0: the top, it looks like. And I just started chapter six, which is the final chapter of the build. And that scope is part of that last chapter. So I should be finished wow. with this within the next day or two, because I only work on it when I have a few minutes in between tasks at work. Um, But it's it's solid, dude. And it is one-to-one it is an exact size of the one from first contact
1: oh that's amazing Yeah,
0: so uh, it's sturdy it's great i only had one piece that i couldn't find but luckily i was able to find a similar piece in some of my leftover lego kit from from past builds uh so i and it's hidden underneath stuff so you can't even really tell
1: that's cool i i finished my enterprise d Mm -hmm. over the weekend it is. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it is. The Enterprise D isn't even my favorite ship, but I've got a new appreciation for it after doing this blue bricks mm-hmm. build. Yep. Um, uh, it is a great set. I've had some people ask me online, well, is it as good as Lego? It is. I'm really skeptical. It 100% it hands is. down as good as Lego quality wise. Yep. It's, it's fantastic. It's better
0: than the Enterprise Mega Blocks build. <laughs> Um, Yes, much sturdier, and they're gonna. I've said if if Star Trek ever gets a Lego license, I'm gonna go bankrupt. Well, Blue bricks is gonna make me go bankrupt because they just announced they had the Runabout, which I'm gonna definitely get. They just announced a large Voyager. They just announced a large, large USS Defiant. uh, Yes, Klingon disruptor, uh, um, uh, Delta flyer. I mean, they're they're awful humans. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, I'm thinking about that Deep Space Nine but yeah. the problem is I have nowhere to put it that's right
0: and that's a big one that's going to take up a lot of space at least with the I rifle know. and the disruptor the Klingon disruptor by the way I was watching the uh, all in German so they do have you know uh, Subtitles. Caption. Yeah. Um they show the Klingon disruptor it actually comes apart so it's a gun so that you take you can take the stock off and holster that bad boy <laughs> it's dude it's so great
1: it's bluebricks.com b l u e b r i x x don't you yeah, know don't worry about the site being in german yep. you can access it in english yep. They sell everything in the euro, which is almost one to one right. for the dollar. So there's really not much of an exchange rate to deal with, and shipping is not terrible. No, it's not because they're shipping from Germany. And
0: the good thing is they accept PayPal. So if you have a PayPal credit, you can do six months no financing on it, also because it's yeah, you usually could. the big ones are you know between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars. So um, I recommend it. I mean, they're they're fantastic. I really love what they've done so far.
1: I I love their product. Yeah. They do such a great job. So. um yeah, I may buy the Deep Space Nine and just keep it until after we move mm-hmm.
0: when I have more room yeah. in theory yeah. so that I have it because I don't want them to sell out. Well, that's true. And some of the stuff – has some of the stuff sold, sold out? I think some of the things have sold out. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they have and, – and and in the last video I watched, they kind of hinted that they still got more big ones coming. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I think the Enterprise E was another one that they have announced on their website. Oh, my God. Yeah, so there's a lot... They're doing... I'm, I'm so glad that they got this license because they are really good quality builds.
1: I'm, I'm really more than impressed. I had very low expectations going in based on both Mega Blocks and uh, Creo. Yes. Remember the Creo yes, Enterprise yes. from the 2009? Yep. Because um, those ones are not great. No, especially the Creo These, one. I don't like those at all. Oh, the Creo one's terrible. Yep. Um, I still bought it and I built it, but this Enterprise is... I hate using Lego quality because it makes it sound like that it, bl- Blue Bricks is inferior, but uh, it is the quality of some of the best building sets I've ever built. Right.
0: Right. I absolutely agree. So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <order. laughs> bankrupt I come.
1: <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> have you gotten to that episode of The Office? I have not. Okay. I have not. M- Michael goes through some money troubles. Uh, well, okay. Well, and decides he's going to declare bankruptcy. Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Except he doesn't quite understand what that means.
0: <laughs> oh, Michael doesn't understand something? Please. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> That's awesome. I know.
1: I was talking to my wife last night, and we were talking about uh, your watch through the office and also Chris Mumphrey's watch through the office. Mm-hmm. And Mumphrey sent me a, a text last night of just with a random line from an episode, so I knew where he was at. Oh, okay. He's much further along from you are. So conversely, I think my wife has more respect for Chris.
0: That's okay. That's that's fine. I know I know that I'm nothing to you or her, so that's fine. I'm, I'm just working on the dog. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's reasonable, I, although Isabella is a fairly tough judge of character. Yeah, I think if she loves if you want to, she loves the office. By the way, I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does. Um, you may want to step that I up. Have, I, um,
0: I, I have not watched any office since our trip to Vegas, but um, I'm hoping to. But what I've been doing at lunch usually lately is trying to catch up on Lower Decks because I we're say. doing Discovering Trek yeah. Lower Deck, so I haven't been able to watch it as much. But it'll happen.
1: It'll happen. It'll happen. You'll get your crap together. No,
0: I, mean, your I doubt it. No, not at all. When do I ever do that? You're not that bright. I am not bright, bright not at all. Bright. I'm a dope. You're a t- <laughs> dummy. <laughs> God. But uh, um, fun conversation. To be had with uh, with Mister Livingston. So, uh, as we record this, we've already talked to David. Yeah,
1: um, we did it last night, and wow. man, just what a a wonderful guy he is. I, he's just so he's. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word. He's just so very likable. He is, and and I, and I don't, I don't mean to sound surprised, no, but I mean it's just I mean, he's. He's just a joy. What, he really is. What I
0: found so great is, and this isn't a dig in any any way, shape, or form, but when we have our weekly meetings for Trek Talks, and now Trek Talks 2, we have a bunch of people in the meetings usually. And David's not one to really say a lot in those meetings. He's taking it all in. He's got plans in his head. He's writing stuff down. He doesn't interact a whole lot. He does interact, but not a whole lot. Last night- was like opening the floodgates, and just hearing those stories was fantastic. I, my night was made with that conversation last night.
1: He's he's very thoughtful in our meetings. Yes. He considers everything. Yes, he does, which I imagine is probably a bit of a, an occupational hazard. That's What a director does, right? Yep. So, uh, yeah, last night just sort of the the unfiltered. Let's just have fun with this. Let's talk about it, man. What a what a great great time. Yeah. Um, and I imagine he's got stories that. Oh yeah. The, that could go on for for episode upon episode, absolutely. Which I'd be fine with, yeah, quite frankly.
0: Absolutely, and I'm not going to lie. I'm going to pat myself on back a little bit. Um, I I was happy with the intro that I did. I didn't expect that reaction from him. That was just so ecstatic when he re- re- reacted to that. So my night was made, and I was smiling the rest of the night. I couldn't even give you crap, <laughs> but now you can. So that's okay.
1: Because not only not only did you write a fantastic intro, you didn't even stumble over
0: any of the words. I was with the with the. Biggest director in Star Trek history. I wasn't going to F that up. Dude, yeah, you found a way to mess up freaks, okay? <laughs> he's not the. He
1: doesn't hold the record. <laughs> Dude, he's Riker. He didn't hold the record. <laughs> he
0: he he holds plenty of records because he he's Riker. He's Riker, and I screwed it up. But I've gotten better. I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's why I haven't been watching The Office. That's anyway,
0: like, you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's get it over with. Let's do it. Let's get it over let's with. Let's get it on. Get it on.
1: We we there's no musical interlude here. That's, sorry. Couldn't, shut couldn't up. could help it. Yeah you, you can help it, that's the problem. All right. Stop talking. Daddy's working. <laughs>